All right, we are back. Michael and David are joining me in this segment, and we're talking about Rudy Giuliani and this nuclear $148 million verdict that was rendered uh, against him in a defamation, civil defamation action filed by two Georgia election workers after Rudy Giuliani defamed them. Uh, let me start with you, David. Help us understand what happened legally. We know the judge had already made a determination that uh, Rudy defamed these two women, and this trial was really about damages. What do you think resonated with these jurors to cause them to come up with such a large jury verdict? I think you have to start with the fact that that uh, Rudy wasn't allowed to really put on a defense. Um, and this goes back to Giuliani's failure to comply repeatedly with the judge's orders about discovery requiring him to turn over electronic information, requiring him to turn over documents, communications. Back in August, the judge issued a 60-page decision detailing Giuliani's misconduct and the way that he had subverted the litigation process. And I think the fact that uh, that there really wasn't any defense, and it was really just about liability uh, or damages, um, really probably made a mark on the jurors. The, the, and the evidence that they heard was was jarring. It was about uh, racist attacks, about threats at their homes, um, electronically, you know, communications, telephone calls, all kinds of things to to really make these women's lives uh, really quite unbearable. And and the jury returned a verdict for. You know, $30 million of defamation damages, another $40 million for intentional infliction of emotional distress, and then piled on top of that another $75 million of punitive damages to uh, to teach America's mayor a lesson about the uh, judicial system. Uh, so I think that's really what went into it. It was really a one-sided kind of landslide presentation with you know a uh, an individual who had demonstrated real contempt for the process. So help us understand, David, why did not why didn't Rudy participate in discovery? What, what was going on? Was it because he has this criminal case pending? Yeah, I think I think you know if you read the judge's decision, the judge actually commented that he may well have made a strategic calculation that it was to his advantage to just take the penalties that the judge would impose in the civil litigation. Remember, um, Giuliani is also facing a criminal indictment down in Georgia. Uh, he's potentially an unindicted co-conspirator uh, co in federal court in D.C. Uh, and, and this is really just the first of the shoes to fall. Um, so I, it may well have just been strategic behavior. He, did, he didn't want to turn over the evidence that would go against him in, in these criminal, criminal prosecutions. All right, Michael. So these two women are in court. They get the verdict of a lifetime, <laughs> $148 million dollars. Uh, right. Can they run to the bank with any of this? Uh, well, not just yet. Uh, we know that uh, he he intimated he would probably file an appeal, but we know he's suffering from major financial challenges as well. Uh, he has um, uh, legal fees that uh, he owes attorneys. And then also a few months ago, it was reported that Donald Trump owed him $3 million in back legal fees. There was a fundraiser that Trump spoke at on behalf of Rudy Giuliani's benefit. It was reported that they raised a million dollars there. Um, so attorneys for uh, Shea Moss and uh, Ruby Freeman have said that they're uh, basically everything's on the table to try to collect on this. They don't probably don't expect to get one hundred forty eight million dollars. That's not going to happen um, on appeal. It's possible it gets knocked down. But uh, they're talking about 
uh, garnishing wages. They're also talking about putting liens on any properties that he owns. Uh, we know he has a uh, $6 million plus apartment that's uh, up for sale. So, uh, you know, this is huge. Uh, even if they don't collect uh, a single dime on this, this is huge because this follows along the uh, $787 million uh, settlement that Dominion Voting Systems got from Fox News because of lies Fox News uh, spread regarding the 2020 election. And then we, we also know the $2.6 billion, $2.7 billion uh, lawsuit is up next in court with uh, Smartmatic. So that lawsuit is even larger than the uh, original uh, lawsuit from uh, Dominion. So this is... Um, uh, there's going to be other lawsuits uh, behind this as well. And this is civil, as as uh, the attorney said, uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani is facing 13 counts in the Georgia um, uh, racketeering uh, law, um, criminal trial as well. So, this, you know, th there's a lot more to come with this, but this is really good news. Yeah, David, help us understand. You were a lawyer in one of the city departments when Rudy Giuliani was mayor of New York. So for those of us that live on the West Coast or in the Midwest and, you know, don't know uh, a whole lot about the inner workings of New York City, how can a man who led us through 9-11, who was once considered America's mayor, you know, how did he get to this point where he is one of America's most disgraced mayors, and now going to be running for his life, trying to hold on to whatever he has, the shirt on his back, because the attorneys for these two women have said if a dime shows up in any account that he has, they're going to be there to collect it. So this is going to be a very difficult period. And we'll talk about the implications for those criminal charges that Michael reminded us of. But, but just tell us something about Rudy that will help us understand how he got to this point. Well, this was my first job out of college. I worked for the Parks Department for the commissioner, so I wasn't wasn't quite a lawyer yet, but I did did have the chance to uh, to work in in the Giuliani administration, and it's really remarkable uh, how far uh, Rudy Giuliani has come. Because back then he was regarded as, or he regarded himself as a real advocate for good government and for um, for uh, just innovation in city government. Um, New York is uh, is a tough place to manage, but but one of the things that Mayor Giuliani was really known for was really driving a narrative, being out there on the streets, being in the media, understanding just how the mayor of New York City could use that bully pul pulpit to you know to make change. It wasn't always good, it wasn't always smart, but it was often aggressive and often uh, you know change making, which which is to his credit. But you know Rudy Giuliani made his bones as a prosecutor using the RICO statutes to take down um, insider trading and mafia dons. And, and, you know, the RICO statutes back then were very new and it was an innovative practice. Um, you know, I guess you could say it's, it's a little bit of a phenomenon of the phenomenon of the arsonist and the firefighter um, where, you know, he, he took a lot of credit for employing those statutes against organized crime. And now, you know, 30, 40 years later, uh, it sure looks a lot like he's part of it. So help us, David, understand what options these two plaintiffs have in terms of collecting this money. A lot of talks about bankruptcy uh, and other. we know, uh, as Michael said, there's this New York apart apartment that's apparently up for sale. We know he has a lot of debt. I, I read an article that says he has some back phone bills that he owes. So he owes you know, a lot of folks money. 
Uh, is this a debt that is dischargeable in bankruptcy? And what are the chances that these two plaintiffs will see any money from Rudy Giuliani? Well, I hope, I think they should be hoping for the federal indictment to name him as a co-conspirator because, you know, the federal prison system pays its its inmates about 30 cents an hour. And at that rate, you know, 56,000 years from now or something like that, Rudy Giuliani might be able to pay back the $148 million he's going to owe. Uh, if, if he gets convicted down in Georgia, I don't think they pay their inmates. So, you know, that would be a problem for them. Um, in terms of bankruptcy, uh, some of this probably will be dischargeable if he goes through bankruptcy. The compensatory damages, uh, the $33 million for defamation, the $40 million for emotional distress are likely dischargeable. Excuse me, the punitive damages are probably not dischargeable. Um, Alex Jones tried that maneuver recently uh, in, in connection with the Sandy Hook litigation. Um, uh, liability that comes from willful misconduct or egregious misconduct is typically not dischargeable by a bankruptcy court because the bankruptcy judge is, is looking at what's fair and what's equitable. And if somebody's adjudicated to have engaged in willful or reckless conduct, uh, that that's a debt that probably won't be dischargeable. Whether you know whether Rudy Giuliani is ever in a position to pay back seventy-five million dollars, I think remains a very open question. So, Michael, uh, there is some breaking news today about another lawsuit. Tell us about that lawsuit. Who filed it, and what are they asking for? So, in this um, second lawsuit, uh, this was filed by uh, Ruby Freeman and, and Shea Moss again, and they are calling for. Um, Rudy Giuliani to stop making defamatory uh, statements about them. So uh, right after the uh, verdict, uh, the the decision in in the civil lawsuit, uh, Rudy Giuliani made uh, some more disparaging remarks uh, about them outside of the courthouse and uh, basically said he had evidence to uh, back up what he was saying. And, and, you know, what's interesting is there were 62 uh, lawsuits filed uh, on behalf of um, Donald Trump and his allies, 62 lawsuits filed challenging the 2020 uh, presidential elections in, in, in various states, uh, what have you. And if Rudy Giuliani had any evidence, he had ample opportunity to present this evidence in court. They lost 61 of those 62 lawsuits. OK, so and the one they won, that was in Philadelphia. That just dealt with how close uh, poll watchers could be to poll workers counting the votes. So he had ample time. And then and, and keep in mind, he did. He chose not to testify in the uh, lawsuit where he was ordered to pay one hundred forty eight million dollars, uh, even though the day before he said he would testify. OK, so uh, with this one, with this lawsuit filed to date. Uh, so far, they're not asking for uh, any monetary damages. They just want the lies uh, to stop being told by Rudy Giuliani. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with this case here. David, we saw something very similar in the E. Jean Carroll case uh, where Donald Trump had been sued. A $5 million judgment uh, or $5 million verdict in that case against Donald Trump. He then goes right outside the courthouse or literally and defames her. And then there's a second lawsuit. Is this a new strategy that we're going to see with these men or these defendants like Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani who can't help themselves, who literally just keep lying and lying and lying? Uh, I assume not following any advice of counsel. Well, I think what you're seeing is you're, you're seeing a, a fairly basic breakdown in the in the 
in the polity in the in in the american uh among american voters there's a cleavage here between people who believe in the system and believe in rules and regulations and following um the 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 justice system as it's laid out and people who simply want to break it and deny facts deny process will not adhere uh and and i think you, you know what you are seeing is is the result of that uh you know, maybe maybe the five million dollar defamation verdict against Trump felt like it wasn't enough, uh, and so you saw another another lawsuit for damages. Here, you've got a seventy five million dollar verdict. Um, you know, I don't know, <laughs> frankly, how much more there is to be gained by by suing him again for for more money. But uh, to Michael's point, you know, it it should be a relatively uh, downhill battle. It should be a downhill run to get a judge to enter injunctive relief to preclude or to, to direct Rudy to stop telling lies um, that are defamatory and that are that are really injurious to people. But Michael, I don't think Rudy like Trump can help himself because there is this part of the MAGA base that's cheering him on, that cheers Donald Trump on and loves this hubris, this you know, like you said, I, I got these facts and I'm going to reveal them. I'm going to testify. And we just know when they're like Donald Trump was going to testify in this $250 million uh, fraud lawsuit right. in New York. And we knew he was not going to testify. And we knew when Rudy Giuliani said that. Are, are people really falling for this, Michael? Yeah, yes, some people are falling for this. There were 74 million votes that Donald Trump got in 2020. Yes, some people are still falling for this con game. And keep in mind, two uh, after two months after the uh, November 2020 uh, election, Donald Trump raised $250 million uh, from his uh, followers to file these frivolous lawsuits to overturn the election results. So yes, there are a lot of idiots out here who are still falling for this nonsense. Uh, we look at uh, the, the, the speech uh, campaign trail Donald Trump gave in New Hampshire, uh, echoing Adolf Hitler as well this past Saturday. So yes, there are people who are still dumb enough to fall for this. What has to happen is that the masses of, of voters have to be properly educated and we have to stop Donald Trump and his acolytes at the ballot box come November 2024. Yeah, real quickly, uh, before we go to break, uh, David, how likely is it that if an injunction is issued, that Rudy will stop defaming these two women? It seems like he's just made this a part of his, you know, routine to get media attention. Well, the next the next penalty would be, you know, court imposed sanctions or fines or ultimately criminal contempt if he were not to follow the injunction. You know, we have seen instances where when the injunctions have been issued against Trump and his ilk, uh, they do tend to adhere because they do not want to cross or, or threaten a judge into, into holding them in contempt. But I think, you know, to Michael's point, you have to ask why they do this. Why do they say things that are so brazenly false? And I think this becomes a question of media studies, right? It becomes a, a question of how are they using the media? How are they using the narrative in public to distract from the facts, from what they've actually done, from what is actually going on, and divert the conversation to this meta-narrative about, well, why is Rudy Giuliani so crazy these days? Why is Donald Trump you know, doing this? And, and it, becomes, it becomes a distraction so that in the background, other things can be, can be going on and other actions can be taken. 
And I think that's really that's really the the pernicious. That's really the most dangerous aspect of this is that it's distracting and it's disorienting for people who are probably not as dialed in as your listeners, Ariva, and aren't paying as much attention. But they get a fragment here and they get a bit there, and they see Rudy Giuliani denying it and saying he didn't have a chance to put a defense up. And you know, you take bits and starts, and all of a sudden, you know, you just don't know which way to turn. No, really good point. Uh, David, when we come forward, I want to talk about what does any of this mean for the criminal charges we know he's facing in Georgia and likely to face in a federal criminal case where he has he's an unnamed a co-conspirator. Stay with us. More about Rudy Giuliani and this mess he's created for himself right here on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back. And in this segment, we're talking about Rudy Giuliani and this $148 million nuclear verdict, as well as this recent lawsuit where Shea Moss uh, and Ruby Freeman have asked the court to enter an injunction to prevent Rudy Giuliani from continuing to defame them. Michael N. Hoktep is here. He's a radio uh, host as well as a historian, and David Slarsky, who is a New York civil litigation attorney. So, Michael, I want to talk about. You know, there was a lot of talk when the RICO charges were filed in Georgia against Donald Trump and company, including Rudy Giuliani. A lot of talk about uh, whether there could be a a jury that would be selected in that state, given a red state, that would actually hold any of these defendants accountable. We've seen a flurry of motions filed, most of them denied by the court. So it looks like uh, unless these individuals, particularly someone like Rudy Giuliani, enters into some kind of plea agreement, his case is going to move forward. What are you thinking now that we have this $148 million verdict from jurors in Georgia? What are you thinking about, you know, the, the likelihood that j- jurors could likewise find Rudy Giuliani guilty on some of the RICO charges that have been filed? Recognize, you know, there's a different standard in, in a civil versus a criminal case. But I think sure. we should try to read something into this big verdict. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Well, Fannie Willis has laid out 161 overt acts and uh, she laid out eight methods of the um, of the enterprise. Method number four, I'm looking at page 17 of the uh, indictment out of Fulton County, uh, harassment and intimidation of Fulton County uh, election worker Ruby Freeman. It talks about harassment of her. It talks about false statements that uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, made to the um, uh, state Senate uh, Judiciary. Uh, committee as well. So uh, I think they can find um, impartial jurors, uh, people who can who who may have voted for Trump, may have voted for Biden, may have set out the election, but can set aside their political views uh, and and render a decision based solely upon the evidence. Okay, and now this is a criminal trial, so it is beyond a reasonable doubt higher standard than civil uh, civil case, which is preponderance of the evidence, 50 percent plus one. But it's uh, reading through uh, this indictment. And I actually did a broadcast on the African History Network show dealing with this. There's there's overwhelming evidence of their um, of guilt. And a lot of this is caught, uh, at least with, with Trump and the um, uh, phone call he had with uh, Secretary of State uh, uh, Raffensperger. Uh, a lot of this is on tape as well, recorded. This is the overwhelming evidence of, of their guilt. Michael, you uh, should be adding lawyer to that list of titles that you have, the way you just <laughs> described the burden of proof in civil versus uh, criminal cases. What do you think, well, David? He did a pretty good job on that. <laughs> 
Uh, David, I do want to ask you, though, Michael raises a great point that in that indictment, a part of the RICO indictment talks about the harassment of these two women who just got this verdict against Rudy Giuliani, uh, who had a, a court determined that he had, in fact, defamed them. How will the jury's verdict, the court's determination come into play, if at all, in the RICO case? You know, let's make it plain. Can Fannie Willis run into that criminal court and say, look, Your Honor, a judge in a civil case already determined that he defamed these two women. And the jurors believed it so much, they awarded these two women $148 million. Yeah, I, well, so there was an interesting maneuver that that the Giuliani legal team pulled in, in the recent defamation case, which is that they stipulated, quote unquote, for this litigation only as to the falsity of certain statements. Um, you know, they did that to avoid the need for presumably the overwhelming and crushing proof that that Michael refers to. And Michael, you can have my title as lawyer if you want it. <laughs> I, can, I can get a good deal on it for you. Um, but, Thanks. you know, because there was a limitation on that stipulation, I presume that the Giuliani team down in Georgia will argue that it shouldn't be admissible because it was it was just a legal st uh, stipulation for that particular case, you know, as to whether they'll find impartial jurors. I don't know. They may have to comb the entire South. They may have to go from Kentucky to Tennessee to Georgia to Florida to Arkansas to find, you know, jurors that haven't heard about this or can, you know, render a, an impartial verdict. Um, but ultimately, presumably, um, that's part of the cross that you bear when you are a public figure. Um, you know, you are susceptible to having uh, a jury of your peers who may have heard of you in the past and may have heard of these stories. Uh, just impartiality doesn't mean uh, necessarily that you've never heard of the dispute or never heard of of what's going on. It, it just means that you're able, as Michael said, to render a fair verdict based upon the evidence and without bias in, in favor of either party. So you don't think we're going to uh, see race judicata type motions filed by the prosecutors to try to use the judge's determination about defamation? And it's probably not race judicata in the truest sense, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, prosecution doesn't try to enter into some some of the evidence from this civil trial into this criminal case. But maybe it, it, the overwhelming evidence is, is such that they won't even need to because the racist, vile uh, you know, comments that we saw coming towards these women after Rudy Giuliani made those statements about them passing around this USB, uh, you know, uh, gadget like it was vials of cocaine and heroin you know it was just such a oh just such a, a horrifically defaming statement maybe jurors will just see it on its face uh, but let's talk michael about the election because all of this is about ultimately who's going to be in the white house who's going to be in congress who's going to be in senate in the senate next year and we know that sure. trump has been on a mission to delay 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 every criminal trial that has been set uh, against him or every trial that he's involved in. And presumably right. Rudy Giuliani wants to do the same. And the hope is Trump's going to win the election. He's going to dismantle our Department of Justice. He's going to wave a magic wand and make all of these lawsuits go away, which we know there's some uh, control that Trump may have over these federal prosecutors, doesn't have that level of direct control over state prosecutors, but obviously can use the bully pulpit of you know that the president will have to try to influence maybe the state legislature in Georgia to impeach Fannie Willis. Who knows? You know, Trump gets very creative when he goes after his enemies. 
But right. how do we make sure people understand the gravity of what's at stake and how these cases, these jury verdicts, like the one we've seen against Trump earlier, E. Jean Carroll, and now Rudy Giuliani, that these things mean something? Yeah, um, I think uh, what has to happen, uh, number one, we have to explain to people what is at stake. If you take women's reproductive rights, and the uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade, kicking it back to the states. That was as a result of Donald Trump getting three uh, Supreme Court justices confirmed. And um, keep in mind also Donald Trump got 226 federal judges confirmed. The Supreme Court justices and the federal judges came from lists submitted to Donald Trump from the Heritage Foundation and the Fairless Society. So we saw as a consequence of a Trump election with the help of Senator Mitch McConnell, who had control uh, with, with Republicans in control of the U.S. Senate after the 2014 uh, midterm elections. They're them pushing through the Supreme Court justices. Amy Coney Barrett was pushed through uh, in about eight days right before the uh, 2020 election. And these are lifetime appointments, whether we talk about federal judges, whether we talk about uh, Supreme Court justices. I remember back in the 2016 presidential election, I was covering uh, the election uh, for the radio station. I used to be on that, 10 a.m. WFDF uh, here in Detroit. And uh, I saw about 100 different uh, speeches that Donald Trump gave. And I saw numerous interviews with uh, Republicans and, and Trump supporters. And the, the overwhelming uh, mantra was, this is about the Supreme Court. This is about the federal courts. Okay. Whereas, unfortunately, I, I heard some woke progressive Democrats saying, I don't like Hillary Clinton, things like this. They didn't understand what was at stake. Okay. Mm -hmm. The first thing I tell my listeners to do, and in my history classes that I teach, is read the U.S. Constitution. Because if you understand the U.S. Constitution, you'll understand the Electoral College. The Republicans understood the Electoral College and engaged in voter suppression tactics in Michigan, where I am, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Uh, I live four minutes away from the TCF Center. That became uh, a a that became a almost battleground like outside. OK, uh, dispute wanting the, the, the stopping of the uh, counting of the vote, uh, making erroneous allegations about fraud, things of this nature. So once people uh, get to see, uh, understand law. OK, I, I tell people we have to understand history, economics, law and politics. And incidentally, when I enrolled at Wayne State University fall of 1989, I enrolled as a pre-law major. I was going to be an attorney. But I ended up switching and graduating from their business school. Okay, so, uh, but I did probably take a good choice. In the business school. Michael, probably a good choice. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have to lay out to people what's at stake. At the top of the ticket is saving the democracy. Explaining to people what a democracy is is democracy versus autocracy, democracy versus fascism, and then dealing with uh, women reproductive rights, voting rights, uh, policies, and also policies that are beneficial for African Americans are, ben are beneficial for America in general. OK, so it's laying out on the line what's at stake because we can lose all of this in, in the in November 2024 election. No, well said, Michael. Absolutely. When we come forward, uh, David, got to talk about this appeal. I, no, no one on this panel believes it has a snowball's chance in hell to go anywhere. But of course, Rudy Giuliani is out there saying he's going to appeal. He's going to appeal. And also some of the statements his lawyers made about his mental capacity uh, some very weird things were said by his own attorney. So uh, when we come forward, more on this nuclear verdict of $148 million against America's disgraced mayor, Rudy Giuliani, right here on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. 1580. 
We are back with David Sarsky. He is a litigation attorney in the city of New York. He once worked in the administration of Rudy Giuliani when Rudy was the mayor and Michael M. Hoptep. He is a historian. He's a professor. He's a radio host and he's probably a lawyer. Just doesn't know it yet. We're going to work on that, David and I. <laughs> but uh, they have been breaking it down for us in terms of what's going on with Rudy Giuliani. Okay, David, of course, everybody that you know, loses a case, whether it's civil or criminal, they all say they're going to appeal. And we know for Donald Trump, appealing is uh, part of his playbook to delay, delay, delay. Uh, do you think Rudy Giuliani, who has no money, apparently, who already owes a bunch of lawyers money, uh, civil lawyers don't tend to file appeals, which can be very complicated, very time consuming, without getting a pretty big retainer check up front. At least that's not how we do it in California. So what do you think the chances of Rudy Giuliani actually having a competent lawyer be able to file an appeal of this case on his behalf? Well, when he was interviewed after the verdict came down, he made some what I thought were uncharacteristically insecure comments that we might move for a new trial. Uh, you know, the lack of decisiveness on the part of Rudy Giuliani was was really uh, jarring to my ears to hear him say that, that he might move for a new trial and he would certainly appeal. I do question what the basis of the appeal would be. Presumably, it would be something to the effect that the jury's damages were outsized or not reasonable or not, uh, not proportionate. But I think um, if you compare the verdict here to the settlement in the Fox News Dominion litigation, uh, what you're looking for is some basis. The court is going to be looking for some basis upon which a reasonable jury could conclude that there's a connection between the damages that are awarded and the and the damage that was caused. Here you have incontrovertible evidence of uh, of Rudy's conduct. I mean, he's stipulated to it. You've got a litigant who uh, abused the litigation process, but perhaps most importantly, you've got some really, really nasty evidence about the impact on these women uh, of of his comments and and what it touched off. Really, kind of a national uh, national assault on 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 uh, these two litigants. I think a, a reasonable jury could come up with a number of you know thirty million dollars, fifteen million dollars a piece for the defamatory conduct, uh, you know twenty million dollars a piece for uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress. You might you might see some kind of cramming that down by a judge or by an appeal, but you know I mean you're probably talking certainly in the five to ten million dollar range. I think would be you know very very reasonable, especially you know we saw uh, Trump's litigation up in New York. Um, and then, and then you have a multiplier on that for the punitive damages for the willfulness and egregiousness. Here, the jury basically added uh, a one x multiplier. They they added seventy five million dollars to compensatory damages of seventy five million dollars. That's certainly within the realm of reason. Seeing uh, you know another another turn on on the damages. So I just I don't really see that there's a real a real solid basis for. Um, reducing this this liability, maybe maybe on the margins, but uh, on the liability, I, I just I just don't see it. You know, I don't think a court is going to be very sympathetic to uh, a litigant like Rudy Giuliani who stuck his thumb, you know, stuck his his thumb in the eye of the judge of the judicial system, uh, had repeated opportunities to comply with discovery orders, and you know, even before this verdict came out, a scathing eighty page or seventy page decision. Uh, on his misconduct in the in the judicial process, which again is just stunning for a guy who made his name as a law and order prosecutor and law and order mayor to have completely abdicated 
any responsibility to the judicial system. Look, that's why we disbarred him in New York. You know, he's no longer a lawyer here because because of this kind of conduct. Well, that means he can't make any money, Michael, unless he is in federal prison getting that 30 cents an hour. So uh, I hate it <laughs> when this happens, when there's a big verdict for plaintiffs and there's no deep pocket, there's no insurance, you know, there's no, uh, you know, corporation that can pay it. But uh, this verdict has more meaning than just money. Obviously, that's why these women pursued this litigation. That's why they were able to find a lawyer. Uh, that will pursue the litigation, knowing that there may not be a deep pocket at the end of the, the day. But it's so important to hold people accountable, like Rudy Giuliani. But, Michael, we heard some comments by his lawyers. I, I don't know, they were mm -hmm. kind of on the margin, playing around with the idea that he may have some cognitive decline. What did you make of some of those comments? And do you see Rudy, you know, starting to put into motion some notion that he is declining cognitively as a way to perhaps save himself? from this other more serious uh, litigation that he's going to face litigation that could end him literally doing time in a prison. Right. Well, if it's if it's proven that Rudy Giuliani is suffering from some type of cognitive decline, uh, I don't think that would be surprising to many people judging from his comments, judging from his behavior. Um, so uh, that's possible. Now, you have other people who knew him uh, back in New York. And, you know, I know David used to work under him, but you have other people who knew him back in New York who were African-Americans who were never fond of him in the first place. They remember they remember when he led a, a revolt against uh, after the first African-American mayor of New York, David Dinkins. Um, they remember comments that he made, et cetera. So you have some African-Americans in New York and the New York area who said who, who are saying this is who he's always been. OK, it's just coming out more now. Uh, he's more unhinged now. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with this. But um, this, you know, once again, this is, uh, you know, I, I did a, a post on my fan page, the African History Network, and I posted the, uh, uh, the snapshot of the story from uh, uh, NBC News, $148 million um, settlement. And I used the track from uh, Taylor Swift called Karma. Because a lot of people are saying this is karma for, for him, as well as the same thing is going to happen to Donald Trump, as well as these 18 co-conspirators in Georgia, et cetera. So all this is coming back on them. Um, and, you know, the 2024 election is, is you know, um, I have contended that the January 6, 2021 insurrection is a continuation of the Civil War and the political violence we saw after the Civil War that brought it into the Reconstruction era. OK, and it, you're going to see this continue in 2024 also. So, Michael, real quickly, how come none of this this stench is rubbing off on Donald Trump? Like, these are people in his immediate circle. This was his personal lawyer uh, that was out there advocating for him, fighting the fight, you know, filing, as you said, those 62 lawsuits claiming mm -hmm. that the election had been stolen. This was his right hand man who now has been, you know, determined to be a liar, a defamer, and, and who has this big verdict. Does, why isn't there, like, guilt by association? Well, you're, you're, you're in an off-year uh, uh, election. This is 2023. A lot of people are not dialed into the minutia of what's taking place. Uh, you, you're going into, the, we're in the Christmas season, et cetera. 
in 2024, as you get further into 2024, especially if one of these cases go to trial, but as you get further into 2024 in the presidential uh, election uh, season, then people will start paying more attention. I think it's important for people with platforms like yours, like mine, et cetera, to uh, provide the evidence for people and provide the sources. I have a model at the African History Network, proper documentation ends all conversation. And this is how my teachers taught me. This is what we deal with. So once people get to see uh, what has happened and the consequences and understand laws and policies, then I think people will, will see what's at stake and make the correct decision in 2024. It's not just about the presidency. It's also about the Senate and the House of Representatives. Well, I surely hope you are right. A lot of evidence uh, today and a lot of pressure today, at least coming out uh, to get Clarence Thomas to recuse himself from that immunity case that the uh, Supreme Court is going to be ruling on. So uh, you're yes. right. It's the holidays. People aren't dialed in to the election next year. So hopefully we'll see some differences. Uh, thank you so much, David Slarsky. Always a pleasure uh, to spend some time with you. Your insights are invaluable. And Michael in Hope Tip, tell us where we can listen to you and find you because I know you have a radio show as well. I want to give you a plug. Yeah, visit my website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We're on Sundays, 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my social media platforms. Uh, so we have information right on the website. And I teach online history classes. I'm teaching one Tuesday, uh, December 19th, 2023, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have the information on our website so you can register for it there, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Well, thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Happy holidays <laughs> to both of you. The next Happy holidays, Ariva. Robin Ayers and the Robin, uh, the Rob Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.